You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled, What is Necessary in These Urgent Times? This is Lecture 13, entitled, Memory, Intelligence, and the Senses in Relation to the Spiritual World, given in Dornach on February 13, 1920. I have often drawn your attention in the past to the primary wisdom that human beings once possessed, which can be described as a wisdom that made them conscious of being citizens of the entire cosmos, not merely of the earth. Cast your soul's gaze over what exists in the consciousness of a present-day thinking person and what exists in the consciousness of someone who thinks about the relationship between human beings and the world on the basis of certain scientific foundations. The two are one and the same. Just as the majority of people during Earth's antiquity experienced in their thinking and feeling lives the things that were taught in the mysteries, the mysteries that were the center point of the surrounding culture and civilization, so do present-day people in all walks of life take up the things taught and researched in today's modern mysteries, the universities and secondary schools. The relationship between the mysteries of old and the things that the majority of the population once believed is the same as the relationship between the present-day population and universities. What the old mystery teachers understood to be the relationship between a human being and the sun, S-U-N, the relationship between a human being and the animal world, this was naturally also believed by the population at large. What today's university and college professors say, and also do not say, about the relationship between the human being and the sun, the relationship between the human being and the moon, this is all believed by the majority of people. The idea that everything there is to know about the human being is exhausted by the theory human beings evolved physically from animal predecessors is an incredibly one-sided truth. It does not offer a complete picture of the facts. But human beings in modern times relate to their initiates, their university professors, as ancient people once related to those initiated into the mysteries. Psychologically, there is no real difference between these two relationships, except that the people in ancient times were aware that everything in the human being is connected not only with the things that develop on earth, but also with everything that the eye can see when it turns toward the heavens. All the processes that occur in human beings, including the physical ones, are processes that are connected with what happens on the sun, with what happens on the other planets in the solar system. If you read my title, Outline of Esoteric Science, you will see that this awareness that the human being has a relationship not only to the earth but also to the more than earthly world is to be re-established 
through anthroposophical spiritual science, which the outline of esoteric science is meant to serve. There it is indicated that our earth itself is only a temporary incarnation of that being which previously had existed as moon, sun, and Saturn. And it is also indicated that the human being will continue to evolve, and these later evolutionary forms of the human being will be connected with future evolutionary forms of earth, with Jupiter, Venus, and Vulcan. In this, all that belongs to the human being is lifted above the merely earthly. The human gaze will again turn toward the cosmos. This is one of the things that must enter our awareness, if we are not to degenerate on earth, that the human being belongs to the cosmos, that the human is connected in its inner being to more than earthly spheres. Why must we become conscious of this? We must become conscious of it because self-knowledge is necessary, not the self-knowledge that exists in the incubator of one's own beloved I, capital, but the knowledge of the human, human as a universal being. This self-knowledge must spread throughout the world. It must become increasingly common knowledge. Unless human beings come to an understanding of themselves, there will be no place for them in particular no place for them in the future of human evolution. But achieving this understanding is not simply a matter of incubating this secondary, chaotic, inner human being a little so that it grows. It is rather a matter of considering this concrete inner human being in all its aspects, just as you would not simply describe the natural world by pointing and saying, Nature, nature, nature but would rather indicate different aspects and say, here are plants, here are animals, and then go on to sort the plants into their respective genus and species. In the same way, we must identify the various sorts of divisions within human soul life, particularly the various metamorphoses of that soul life. Now let us describe these individual metamorphoses of the soul life from one angle, so to speak. First is the metamorphosis of our soul life, so that that is excuse me, let me read that again. First is the metamorphosis of our soul life that is the most connected with our physical bodies, that is the most the dependent upon our physical bodies. This is the soul capacity that we refer to as memory or the ability to recollect. Through memory, we are able to renew the experiences of our individual lifetime. Through our ability to recollect, we are able to follow a thread from a particular moment, from around two, three, four, or more years after our birth, up to the things happening in the present moment. A person would become inwardly sick if this thread were broken. I have spoken about this often in the past. If ever we would look back on some part of our life in such a way that we lose our memory of certain things that preceded it, then the connection with our experience is gone, and this would cause us to grow sick in our sense of ourselves. On the other hand, we can easily recognize how deeply memory is connected with our physical bodies. We need only to recall a fact that I have often hinted at, and that is widely known, that 
when we suffer from insomnia or when other experiences in our life make us unable to sleep well, our memory suffers as a result. This alone, as well as many other things, proves how dependent memory is upon the physical body. Less dependent on our physical bodies, which is to say more independent from our physical constitution, is what we refer to as intelligence. But this intelligence is still strongly dependent upon our physical constitution. Memory has relationship only to an individual. Intelligence is something we share with other human beings, at least at a high level. Certainly one person might be more or less intelligent than another. Usually every person considers himself or herself the most intelligent of all. In general, you could say that it is certainly a fact that one person is more intelligent and another person less so. But there is a general uniformity spread out over the spectrum of human intelligence. Whereas the content of each person's memory is his or her own and cannot be seen by another, whereas the content of memory is therefore something very individual, the content of intelligence is similar for all of humanity. It is thereby less bound to the physical constitution of a human being. The physical constitution of a human being is actually like a mirror to unfolding processes of intelligence. Anyone who claims that the processes of the human nervous system and brain create thoughts is as foolish as the person standing before a mirror in which Fräulein Scholl, Fräulein Laval and Herr Grossheinz appear, claiming the mirror has created Fräulein Scholl, Fräulein Laval and Herr der Dr. Grossheinz. Just as the mirror is related to the three people I named, and just as those three people have an existence outside of that mirror and actually have nothing further to do with it, so does intelligence merely allow itself to be reflected through the brain to appear in our consciousness. The processes of intelligence exist outside of the brain. We would know nothing of our intelligence if we did not have a brain. The processes of intelligence would not be reflected there. But these intelligence processes have an existence outside of the brain as well, processes that are merely reflected in it. And then we come to the third capacity of the human soul, which is, by and large, the least dependent upon our physical constitution. People have a hard time believing this, because they consider this faculty to be the most dependent upon physical constitution. This is the capacity of sense activity. Take the eye. The eye itself has nothing to do with the processes of sight. The process of seeing is much less dependent upon the eye than the process of intelligence is upon the brain. What the eye, again EYE, has to do with seeing is altogether different. The processes that occur in our consciousness as the content of sight, these processes have nothing to do with the eye. What occurs in the eye has an effect only because our consciousness, our capital I, is present for the process of seeing. <laughs> Please 
pay close attention to this fundamental but not easily understood difference. Take, for example, a man who through some sort of illness has lost both of his eyes. Because of this, he has not lost the process of sight as such. Rather, he has lost the ability to perceive the process of sight in his eye capital. His capital I is not aware of this. It is simply his capital I as it was before, but with the process of sight turned off. What occurs in this example can be compared with the following. Imagine you have three telegraph stations, A, B, and C. At each telegraph station, you have stationed a telegraph operator. If the operator in A sends a telegraph to the operator in C, then the man stationed in C will be able to read the message sent from A to C. There is no need to discuss whether the Morse code machine in A created the content of the message or not. The machine is simply the transmitter. Similarly, the Morse code machine in C cannot read. It is simply the receiver. If then on the path between A and C we were to insert station B, then the operator in station B could sit there and hear or read along. He would simply need to let the strokes appear on the page in front of him and then he could read along. So B has been inserted in the message stream along which the content of the telegraph is transmitted. But the content that travels from A to C has absolutely nothing to do with the processes that play out in the Morse code device in station B. Because the device in that station is turned on, the content is simply perceived. Naturally, if the device were not turned on, then that content would not be perceived. The same is true of the human eye, EYE. The processes of the eye have nothing to do with the inner truth of sight. The eye is simply turned on in the processes of seeing. And because the eye is turned on, the capital I is unable to see through the process of sight. Excuse me. And because the EYE is turned on, the capital I is able to see through the process of sight. But the EYE is absolutely not the thing that transmits or affects or does anything with the content in the process of seeing. It is simply the receiving device for the capital I. Paradoxically, we could say, if we do not expose ourselves to the danger that those big-headed, misguided people today would find to be a paradox, that our EYE, has a sense, as a sense organ, has nothing to do with sight, but everything to do with what our capital I has knowledge of sight. Sense organs, such as the ones we currently possess, which is to say the higher sense organs, are not there for seeing. They are there so that the capital I can know sight. I would like to write this sentence on the board. Higher sense organs are not there to transmit sense processes. They are there so that the capital I can know of sense processes. There we have the three so-called higher soul faculties, memory, 
intelligence, and sense activity. The capital I is integrated into them. It is most strongly integrated into the physical body in memory, less so in intelligence, and least of all in sense activity. What I have just outlined for you comes from the following truths. Memory did not always exist in human beings as it does now. It evolved into its present form. And what lies at the root of this evolution into memory was a primary fact of human existence during the last incarnation of the planet that is now our Earth, during moon evolution. Back then, memory existed as a form of unconscious, dreamlike imagination. Memory was once dreamlike imagination. Because our physical bodies developed into the form that they currently possess, this lively, dreamlike imagination, which, which once filled human soul life completely during moon evolution, was able to develop into what we now call our memory. During sun evolution, when we did not have a physical form like the one we currently possess, when we were beings of the sort I describe in my outline of esoteric science, our intelligence was dormant inspiration. This dormant inspiration went on to develop into our modern-day intelligence. Sense activity, on the other hand, was once a form of very dull intuition during Saturn evolution. Again, you can read more exact descriptions of all of this in my outline of esoteric science. And this dull intuition went on, went on to develop into our present-day sense activities. Now you might ask, why is it so difficult for people to arrive at truths of such import? And once these truths are communicated to them, you might ask, why are they so resistant to this? Well, you see, the answer is in the nature of the things themselves. We had a dull intuition during Saturn evolution. Over time it evolved into our sense activities. But actually, we can only prove that one of our present-day senses developed directly out of the structures of the ancient senses present on Saturn, our hearing. Hearing most clearly has its origins in Saturn evolution. Sight came about later on. You can also read about all of this in my outline of esoteric science, mostly during sun evolution. But already you can see that though the origins lie on ancient Saturn in the form of dull intuition, new senses were added on later. During sun evolution new senses came about that were not yet as highly developed as the ones that originated on Saturn. During moon evolution, more new senses came into being, and during earth evolution as well. On earth we developed our sense of taste, which is actually the least developed of the senses. Taste, if we considered it by itself, apart from our other senses, could be described as a kind of dull intuition in our physical form, an undeveloped and dull intuition. It is, <clears throat> it is similar in regard to the sense of smell. In that case, something particularly unusual is evident. I would recommend the following 
to anyone who is interested. Take a look at physiology or psychology, and by that I mean psychology, soul science, as it is written about currently. You will see that much is written in those fields about the senses. What is written in those fields about the senses, anyone who considers it impartially will recognize that it is only true of the sense of touch. You will perhaps remember what I wrote in my book titled Theosophy about the relationship between the higher senses and the sense of touch, something that Goethe had already noted as well. Educated men and women in our society want to describe the senses, but they only describe that aspect of the senses that developed entirely on earth, that aspect that made its first appearance on earth. In the case of sight, this kind of description hits upon the truth just like, and you can say this literally, a fist hits an eye, Iwai. For what is described in psychology texts is not actually sight. What is described in those texts will only come about if you hit yourself in the eye with your fist. This is the origin of that quaint doctrine based in the so-called specific sense energies of the eye, energies that did not come from sight, but were rather evidenced by the fact that when a blow was delivered to the eye, one saw a whole variety of colors and shapes. These learned gentlemen are actually describing, quite accurately, something that happens when you hit your eye with your fist. And with that description, they are attempting to understand sight. You can understand the senses only when you consider them in connection to things that are not here any longer, Saturn evolution, Sun evolution, Moon evolution. You can understand intelligence only when you consider it in connection with things that are no longer here, Sun evolution, Moon evolution. You can understand memory only when you consider it in connection to something that is no longer here, Moon evolution. And from Earth evolution, you can only understand what the capital I takes from the senses, from memory, and from intelligence. For it is during Earth evolution that the capital I was first incorporated into the physical body. And the organs that developed in human beings during Earth evolution are absolutely not there to disseminate the higher soul faculties, but rather to allow these higher soul faculties to be revealed through an capital I. We have eyes for our capital I, ears for our I, a nose for our I, not a nose for smelling, which might otherwise be correct, since it was first developed during Earth evolution. But it is no longer altogether correct in that it will also continue to evolve through Earth evolution. But we do not have eyes for seeing or ears for hearing either. We have ears so that our capital I can know something about the things that come in through our ears. Just as a telegraph machine is turned on so that a telegraph operator and not the machine itself can know of the communications passing between stations A and C. 
insofar as we continue to say that we have eyes for seeing, ears for hearing, and insofar as everything is clothed in this mode of expression, we speak something that has no truth and no reality. We speak in illusions. We speak in falsehoods. We are not aware of the true reason that we have physical bodies. We do not have them for the purposes of disseminating our higher soul faculties. We have bodies so that our capital I can have some experience of these higher soul faculties. Our whole physical form is a depiction of our I, and we are constituted in the way that we are constituted because we each have an I. In our physical bodies, we are to become aware of the physical depiction of our capital I. For our physical body, in the form that we currently bear, we first recede from the earth, and it does no good to take up things that were not given to us by the earth, things that were not derived from what has occurred on the earth, and then to look for the causes and origins of those things in what has occurred on the earth. Just as we are able to say that moon evolution gave the most to our memory because our memory's origin lies in that evolutionary phase, just as we can say that sun evolution gave the most to our intelligence because its origin lies in that evolutionary phase, and so on back to Saturn evolution and sense activity, so must we also recognize that, those, that these higher soul capacities also have something to do with the beings of the upper hierarchies, namely that our memory has a connection to the angels, our intelligence to the archangels, and our senses to the archai. And here I come to an important chapter of spiritual knowledge. Imagine for a moment that in human self-knowledge you are reflecting on memory, on our ability to recollect. You say, I am turning my inner organ, my soul organ, toward the activity of memory. But when you consider, consider this act from a fully conscious place, then you must also go on to say to yourself, in this act, in this process of recollection, there are angels living and moving throughout that inner organ. Take a moment now and try to remember something that you experienced yesterday, some sort of experience that you had. In doing this, you have carried out an inner soul process. In the process that occurred, during which a thought from yesterday again appeared within you, an experience from yesterday revealed itself anew in your memory, an angel is active in all of that activity. And when you think about something intelligently, and it must actually be thinking intelligently, not merely brooding, not merely doing what most people call intelligent thinking, which is really nothing more than cooking one's memory, memory more thoroughly, than allowing the body to stew upon memories, Thinking begins truly when you actively and inwardly take up your thoughts. So, when one develops this sort of inner activity, an archangel is present for that. And when you 
so much as listen to or look at what is around you, then you must say to yourself, in my ears and in my eyes are the thrones of the archai, the spirits of time. Whenever you find yourself asking, where are the spirits of time, the archai, who rule over each age of the world as it follows on the next, then you should not go looking for them in distant or unfamiliar regions. You need only to look in the sense organs of human beings. There is where they sit. A decadent time, in regard to sense perceptions, has already sought the gods up above in the heavens where they are not to be found, and the spirits of time in the heavens as well, where they are not to be found. When a person asks, then, where are the spirits of time? They are sitting in his eyes, in her ears. Their thrones are there. From another perspective, this helps to illuminate something that I once described to you when I spoke of the places within human beings that provide guidance to the events of nature. In certain esoteric circles, when you allow yourself to hear the right sayings and be pointed in the correct directions, you will find that the truths that I have laid out for you are also hinted at in these sayings, which come from ancient times. That the human being is a temple for the gods that stand above him, meaning for the beings of the upper hierarchies. This is meant in the most literal sense. For when you ask, where does one find the angels, archangels, and archai? Then I must respond by saying, in the organs of human memory, human intelligence, and human sense perceptions. You have to say, if you speak truly, that the human being is truly filled with spirit, meaning that it is filled with spiritual beings. The Catholic Church did not want human beings to be aware of this, which is why in 869 CE, at the Eighth Ecumenical Council, they forbade people to have any knowledge of or belief about spiritual things, establishing the dogma that human beings are comprised only of body and soul. This human is a vastly complex being, and if you, let us say, for example, were to place yourself on a distant star and were to observe the happenings on earth from that perspective, the mineral world would immediately vanish and would only appear outwardly as a shining light. The plant kingdom and the animal kingdom would also be barely perceptible. You would not be able to perceive individual human beings either, but the thrones would be there in the space around the earth, occupied by angels, archangels, and archai. And a being who had the necessary capacities of sight and perception to see things as such from that distant star would say, The earth is a body in space that is the home of the archai, archangels, and angels. In the words of the gods it would be said that the earth is the home of the spirits of time, the archangels and the angels. In the everyday speech of human beings, this translates to the human being has sense organs, instruments of intelligence, and a constitution for memory. But humanity is called upon to truly come to know the human being, to seek the true relationship between this human being and the spiritual world. 
Before now the pendulum of civilization had swung in a different direction. People investigated the chemical properties of foodstuffs in order to understand which parts of food human beings absorbed into their bodies. Our physicality was understood to be the same as what we took from our food, and so on. People sought out these sorts of relationships. They said, the things that are out there in the world, in the various plants and animals, find their way into human beings. One moment it is out there in the form of cabbage and cow, the next moment it is taken into the form of the human being and actually constitutes that form. They see a steer, they look at it, then they see a person who has eaten the meat that came from that steer, and they follow the trail of the meat that this person ate, which until a few days before had been a part of the steer, attempting to determine how it has been integrated into that person's inner workings. Here we have the relationship between the physical and the natural world. Here we have traced the way in which the meat, which was once a part of the steer's haunches, afterward becomes a part of the human being's inner workings. We have spent enough time tracing this relationship. We have concocted a world view out of it, resulting from the pendulum swinging far to one particular side of the spectrum of human world views. Now it is time for the pendulum to swing in the other direction. Now we must come to know that the sole element of human beings also has a relationship to the spiritual world, to spiritual substance. And what comprise spiritual substance? Archangels, archai, angels, they are in human beings, just as the steer is in a human being after a person eats a piece of meat. They are in human bodies. Contemporary science admits the latter point, but still ridicules the former. But for the future evolution of humankind, it might be the other way around, contemporary science admits the latter point, but still ridicules the former. I think that's a what that means anyway excuse me but for the future evolution of humankind it is just as necessary for people to know what relationship they have to angels as it is for them to know what relationship they have to steers or cabbage i mean physical cabbage we are at a critical juncture in time the necessity is before us to turn toward the way in which the spiritual world plays into our soul lives Having spent long enough considering very one-sidedly the way in which the physical world plays into the physical aspects of human beings, for the human being's further development, now it is not enough to hear certain abstract religious truths dogmatically proclaimed by devotees of a church. We all have to busy ourselves with thinking about what relationship our earthly form has to the spiritual world. First of all, this spiritual world has a relationship to the capital I. We will learn about other relationships tomorrow. But that which appears in our earthly form as a constitution for the capacity of memory has a relationship to the hierarchy of angels. That which is embedded into our constitution for our capacity of intelligence has a relationship to the world of the archangels. 
that which announces itself to us in our higher senses, namely the things that unfold in our high arts, this has a relationship to the world of the archai, the spirits of time. We must become able as human beings not only to chat with one another about the fact that a spiritual world exists, we must become able to feel the concrete relationships between human beings and the spiritual world. We must become able to feel that what echoes in us as the sense of hearing is actually a product of a long-developing fact that is now intermingled with our world, something in which the archai are active. We must become able to understand that when we are thinking, we are existing in a world that is filled with archangels. Whenever we recollect things, we exist in a world that is filled with angels. And when we become conscious of our capital I, for which we always require our physical bodies most of all, then it is a revelation of our I. At that moment, we are for the first time in the world in which the human being moves and weaves. Even in the Greek mysteries it was said, quote, when you meet the guardian of the threshold, then you learn to recognize in a higher way the things that exist in human beings. Quote. On this side of the threshold, we only come to know thoughts that hearken back to a prior experience. On the other side of the threshold, the angels flit and scurry about us. On this side of the threshold, we come to know the intelligent being. On the other side of the threshold, we experience the way in which the archangels flit and scurry about us. On this side of the threshold, we perceive the sensory world. On the other side of the threshold, we come to know the way in the way in the archive, the spirits of time, move in and out through our eyes, through our ears. We must therefore see to it that conscious awareness is awakened in each individual human being. The awareness that we each stand in a relationship to the spiritual world by the very fact of our physical constitution. This must, however, however, be awakened concretely in each of the individual organs. We must learn to feel ourselves a part of a spiritual world, whereas the worldview which has presently reached its zenith only allows us to feel as though we live in the physical world. This feeling that we are living only in a physical world will forever be the dominant feeling unless the occurrence at Golgotha is allowed to enter in. The fact that we have the ability to develop again a conscious awareness of our relationship to the spiritual is owed to the mystery of Golgotha. But what we owe to the mystery of Golgotha must be sought freely out of our own inner impulses. Christianity requires freedom. What we are able to know through this about our relationship to the spiritual world, this can actually gain true efficacy in humanity. And the efficacy which we have tried to lay as the pedagogical foundation in the Stuttgart-Waldorf School this is born out of this conscious awareness that the human being is something more than a synthesis of external natural phenomena. There the teachers are to teach and lecture in such a way 
that they are not only aware of the baby that grows up physically, the being that once it has been weaned off of milk will over time take in cabbage and beef, but also aware of the soul being, in which the beings of the higher spiritual world actively participate. And in so far as we are educating in our classes, we are leading the activity of the beings of these higher hierarchies into the being of the developing child. People should not simply learn to kneel at the altar and pray for their own egotism. They should learn to make all that they do in the world into acts of worship. Nowadays, what people need to learn is that everything that a human being does in the world must be done as an act of worship, as the completion of an urgent task. But this is opposed by those who do not want to allow human beings to take part in these higher tasks of humanity. When I was trying yesterday in St. Gallen to discuss the effectiveness, the productiveness of the things that can flow out of spiritual knowledge into the field of education, I was told that we have now reached a point at which the clerical newspapers in St. Gallen contained no advertisements about the lecture I was giving that day meaning they had refused even to give notice about it. This kind of opposition will become ever better organized. Organization is understood by all sides. I only say this to you so that you are aware of the opposition to the inclusion of truth in the world, which has become ever more present and effective. I will tell you of these things again and again, I also would like you to be not unfamiliar with these little facts so that you truly feel that it is not a task for dormant souls advocating for the truth of Christ. On the contrary, it is increasingly a task for those souls that are awake. We also need organizations in order to counteract the organization forming on the other side. Tomorrow we will speak of this further. The end of lecture 13.